Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Our calling as husbands, fathers, church, or business leaders is to devote ourselves to helping those under our leadership reach their full potential. Well, according to the New Testament, a central part of the way Christians are to be fulfilled is by putting into use our spiritual gifts. This episode begins a series that equips us to understand the biblical teaching in Romans 12, verses 4 through 8, about spiritual gifts, so we can help those we lead thrive by using the spiritual gifts entrusted to them by God. Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 38 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yagel. Studying Christian discipleship does not really begin with Jesus' call to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, but with God's calling for Adam. Christ came to restore Adam and Eve to their original calling to exercise dominion over creation. For Adam, that role is spending his energy, the sweat of his brow, to cause the garden and those in it to reach their full potential. Embodied in the Genesis 2.14 statement that God put Adam in the garden to cultivate it. Avad, the Hebrew word for cultivate, means to cause a thing to reach its full potential. And the most precious things inhabiting the Garden of Eden were Eve and eventually their children. Christ's redemptive work restores and empowers us to Adam's masculine calling to die to ourselves to help others reach their potential, perfectly demonstrated by Jesus' sacrificial death that his bride might experience abundant life. Understanding and deploying our spiritual gifts is so central to the lives of Christians that we cannot help our loved ones become all God wants them to be in Christ without understanding what Paul teaches about spiritual gifts. So this series will focus on understanding specifically the seven spiritual gifts identified by Paul in Romans 12, verses 4 through 8, where we read, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I realize that there is an intramural debate among Christians about spiritual gifts. I personally believe that the sign gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, like healing, miracles, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues, were given to demonstrate that God was giving direct revelation to the church after Christ's ascension until the Gospels and the New Testament epistles were written. Though I believe God supernaturally heals today, the sign gifts are no longer needed since the New Testament was written and the church has recognized the authority of the New Testament writings. But in contrast to controversy over sign gifts, all Christians agree that the seven gifts mentioned by Paul in Romans 12 continue today. 
Here are five reasons why understanding what God is saying to us in these four verses, Romans 12, verses 4 through 8, matters. First, Paul commands fathers to raise up their children in the training and discipline of the Lord, helping our children understand that they are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for them to do, is a central part of helping them build a strong self-image. As dads, we need to help them see their uniqueness and get excited about their giftedness by visualizing how they might make a difference for Christ. Second, in these verses from Romans 12, all believers are commanded to use our gifts. We need to model doing this ourselves for our kids and then assist them to obey this command, again, by understanding their spiritual gifts. Number three, we need to help our wives and kids see that what they have to offer the community of Christ is needed, that other members of the body of Christ will suffer if we and our loved ones do not deploy our spiritual gifts. For example, one who's experiencing pain needs the comfort of one with the gift of mercy. The discouraged need the encouragement of the exhorter. One who is confused by scripture needs the clarity of those with the gift of teaching. Those seeing the opportunity to pursue ministry for Christ need those with the gift of giving to supply resources to make this ministry happen. The eye, says Paul, cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The fourth reason that understanding the spiritual gifts mentioned in Romans 12 matters is because seeing and understanding the seven spiritual gifts listed there helps us and our loved ones better see Christ's perfections, because each one of the spiritual gifts pictures a different facet of the diamond of Christ's perfect character. For example, the prophet exhibits a respect for God's holiness and hatred of evil. The mercy shower demonstrates Christ's divine mercy. The teacher reveals Christ's unequivocal commitment to never lie, but always speak truth. The fifth reason for studying these gifts is that understanding spiritual gifts dramatically opens our eyes to understand a major source of conflict between Christians, probably including some differences that you have with your own wife. For example, when it comes to counseling, a mercy shower will point out that what the average person going through trials needs most is to feel understood by the counselor who listens well to the counselee's feelings, helping him or her process those feelings. The prophet's approach, however, to counseling is to say, you will never find lasting help unless you deal with the sin beneath the issues. An exhorter, on the other hand, will recognize that God uses trials to build Christ-like character and give practical steps to solve the problem. So, which counseling approach is right? Let's move to a biblical overview of the seven gifts that is based on some study I did of books on spiritual gifts, but mostly on the Greek words used here in Romans 12. As we examine the first gift mentioned, prophet, We can make no progress understanding this Romans 12 text until we recognize another category of gifts. We have mentioned the sign gifts, gifts like healing and miracles to prove that revelation was being given. 
A second category of gifts that we must understand is offices or jobs or equipping gifts in the church. Paul refers to these offices or positions in Ephesians 4.11. He writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Those holding such ministry positions bring people to Christ, then equip them, the body of Christ, to do the work of ministry. By the way, the Greek grammatical construction has shepherd, pastor, and teacher closely linked, which is consistent with the way the New Testament describes the office of elder. Additionally, the words apostle and prophet are also used in an uppercase kind of way to describe the apostles and the prophets. Paul uses the words this way in Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, addressing the Ephesian Gentiles. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This reference is to those whose writings became scripture. In the Old Testament, they were called the prophets. In the New Testament, they are called the apostles. Jesus is himself the revelation of truth, the cornerstone of the foundation of truth upon which the Old Testament and New Testament church is built. Returning to Romans 12, Paul does not use the word prophet in either of these two ways, neither as a job description like the job held by Elijah or Elisha or Nathan in the Old Testament, Agabus or Silas in the New Testament, nor is Paul referring in Romans 12 to those prophets whose words became scripture like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Amos. Rather, this list of gifts in Romans 12, written towards the end of Paul's ministry, describes spiritual gifts as given to every believer by grace. And grace is the inner working of God's Spirit to motivate us toward godliness. That is why these gifts are sometimes called motivational gifts. Now, let's look at them. First, prophet, prophetes, which means to speak forth openly. Three word pictures describe the way this spiritual gift functions. First is mouthpiece. The prophet's cry was, thus says the Lord. The second is prosecuting attorney. Elijah's prediction of the drought God would send upon Ahab and Israel was the consequence spelled out in Deuteronomy 28 for Israel's disobedience. There we read, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, the Lord will send upon you curses. The Lord will strike you with drought. Verses 15 through 22. The prophet sought to convict his hearers to repent or the consequences for their sin would take place. The third word picture of a prophet is an oncologist. The prophet understands the devastation of the cancer of sin to the human system and insists on doing surgery that gets all of the cancerous cells removed from our sinful hearts. This act of surgery is calling for complete repentance. Peter very clearly appears to have had this spiritual gift, which we'll discuss in future episodes. Sample characteristics of those having this gift today. Here are five. Quick to detect and point out sin. A tendency to be blunt. 
setting and demanding a high standard of moral behavior by all believers, including themselves. Very convictional and will not compromise when they believe they are right. And finally, very discerning of others' motives. The second gift mentioned is server, diaconia. This is the inward motivation to express Christ's love by meeting practical needs. People with this gift love the touch of the physical, like lawnmowers, mops, wrenches, saws, drills, pots and pans, soundboards, and computers. This Greek word, diakonia, is the word used by the apostles in Acts 6 when a dispute arose over the distribution of the food. The twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. That's the word serve. Seven highly qualified men are then chosen to oversee this vital role of caring for the widow's practical needs, the precursor, by the way, of the office of deacon. This serving heart, though, is a motivational gift, not limited just to those holding the office of deacon or deaconess. Here are some characteristics of those having this gift today. First, they have radar that sees practical needs quickly with a motivation to immediately meet them. Second, they find joy in taking care of practical things to free up those they love to do other, perhaps in their mind, more important things. Third, usually those with this gift are in the background, which they're fine with, but they need those they are serving to express appreciation for them. The third gift mentioned is teacher, didaskalos. Just as Microsoft Office's Word has spell check, those with this gift are the doctrine check or truth check for the church. In fact, the didaskalos' teaching is called didaskalia, which is translated doctrine. The didaskalos' focus is always on the accuracy of what is being taught. Dr. Luke seems to have had this gift. Listen carefully to these words that he uses to introduce his gospel. He says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Here are some sample characteristics of those with this gift today. First, their teaching is often boring because they are motivated to ensure the accuracy of teaching. They care about the details of the context of verses and the details of related doctrines. Unlike exhorters whose focus is responding to the truth, they are typically not good at applying Scripture, just at making sure everything taught in every detail is true. Thirdly, they are often good at detailed research in the secular world. The fourth spiritual gift mentioned is exhortation, the Greek word being paraklesis, from para, alongside, plus kaleo, to call to. The exhorter is given by God to the church to help believers apply scripture specifically to their everyday lives. It is noteworthy that this spiritual gift is the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit, paraclete, whose role in the plan of salvation, the plan being done by the Father, the plan executed, carried out by the Son, 
But now the Holy Spirit's job is to apply the work of salvation. The motivation of the exhorter is to see the word of God applied, to see spiritual growth taking place. Though Paul identifies the roles he plays as an apostle, preacher, and teacher, he identifies his motivation to be seeing others come to maturity in Christ. In Galatians 4.9, he tenderly calls the Galatian Christians, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That is the motivation typically of an exhorter. Here are some sample characteristics of those having this gift today. First, they are focused on helping others build Christ-like character. Second, they are focused on helping the church get its members discipling one another. Third, they tend to love the book of Proverbs and practical wisdom for making everyday life work the way God designed it to. The fifth gift mentioned by Paul in Romans 12 is giving, the one who contributes. Those with this gift play a vital role in God's plan to finance the work of ministry. That plan is, first, Christians who tithe, second, special sacrificial giving, such as the church members in Acts 2 trying to care for the thousands of Jews who had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, met Jesus through Peter's teaching, and stayed in Jerusalem instead of returning home. That's the second part. And then the third part is those in the body of Christ with the gift of giving, contributing financially as a primary spiritual motivation. Matthew may have had this spiritual gift. Those who have it are very conscious of the resources required to finance a call from God. Matthew recorded in great detail, in fact, more than any other gospel writer, the gifts given to Christ. He was the only gospel writer who mentioned the treasures brought by the Magi. He described Mary's anointment as very precious and Joseph's tomb as new. Some characteristics of those having this gift today. First, usually, but not always, they have the ability to bring in above-average income. Second, they are personally frugal to free funds for kingdom work. Third, they resist pressure appeals for funds, but give quietly to kingdom projects. Fourth, they are often very interested in overseas mission work. The sixth gift that Paul mentions is the gift of leadership, proistemi, which means literally to stand before. This is the God-given ability to enlist a group of people to help you accomplish a task that honors Christ. This is not the same at all as administration. It is the ability to influence others to come with you in your pursuit of kingdom objectives. Since spiritual gifts were poured out in the New Testament church in a new way at Pentecost, Nehemiah may not have had the spiritual gift of leadership, but he was clearly gifted for leadership, and his life provides many leadership insights that we'll look at in coming weeks. Some sample characteristics of those having this gift of leadership today. First, they are goal-focused. Second, they have the ability to win a following and build a motivated team captured by a vision that matters to them. Third, they see clearly the talent and resources required to reach the goal. Fourth, they visualize the potential of those around them. The last gift Paul mentions in Romans 12 is that of being a mercy shower. Eleo 
to feel sympathy for the misery of others. The gift of showing mercy is mentioned last in Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. It has been suggested that after everyone else in the body of Christ has done their ministry, the mercy shower binds up the wounds of those hurt during the process. Another scholar describing this word says, Grace describes God's attitude toward the lawbreaker and rebel. Mercy is his attitude toward those in distress. God gives his heart of mercy to some in the body of Christ for the purpose of sensing those who are in emotional turmoil to gently, tenderly bind up their wounds. The Apostle John, known as the Apostle of Love and the disciple Jesus loved, appears to be a mercy shower, and we'll look more at that in upcoming weeks. A sample of characteristics of those with this gift today First, a mercy shower's primary motivation is to care for others, not reach a program objective. Second, in his view, oneness and fellowship are the objective of the church. Third, a mercy shower thinks relationally about everything. Caring for each other trumps the influence of all the other gifts. As I close this initial overview of these four gifts from Romans 12, I'm reminded of the hundreds of thousands of dollars I have spent on my kids' college educations to equip them to reach their full potential. Yet there's another huge part of equipping my loved ones to flourish, and that is helping them understand and deploy their spiritual gifts. This assistance doesn't require spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it does require the investment of some time to understand the biblical teaching about seven different motivational gifts, at least one of which God has given your wife and children. I hope you will join us in our continued study of these gifts over the next few weeks. summarize this episode, understanding and deploying our spiritual gifts is so central to the lives of Christians that we cannot help our loved ones become all God wants them to be in Christ without understanding what Paul teaches about spiritual gifts. Despite controversies about some spiritual gifts, all Christians agree that all seven gifts identified in Romans 12 are still being given to believers by God today. We identified five reasons we must familiarize ourselves with these gifts. First, because part of a father's job in raising his child is to build his or her self-image, part of which is confidence in their giftedness to make a difference. Second, because God commands every believer to deploy his or her spiritual gifts. Third, because other members of the body of Christ suffer when we neglect using our spiritual gifts. Fourth, because when believers do deploy their spiritual gifts, they are helping everyone better see Jesus. Fifth, because understanding the different perspectives of each of the seven spiritual gifts helps us understand a big source of conflict among Christians. For further prayerful thought, number one, which of the seven gifts from Romans 12 do you think might be yours? See your show notes for additional questions. Our past podcast highlight this week is Kids Don't Have It In Them to Grow Themselves Up, Season 1, Episode Number 36, from July 5th, 2020, not 21. 
Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. In the coming weeks, we will give more detail about each of the gifts to help you better recognize each gift. We will cover how we see biblical figures using them, how each one identifies a character virtue of Christ, the weaknesses of the gift, and the kind of conflicts such giftedness can provoke. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ, equips them for that mission, and inspires them each week while they commute or work out. 